Hi, this is Spurge, and you're listening to Baselines and Banter, a podcast where I interview music professionals, aka my friends and peers, at a party which is also called Baselines and Banter. This podcast is supposed to serve as an audio photograph capturing what is currently happening in the New York music industry by interviewing the music professionals that both live here as well as those passing through. For today's episode, I interviewed Charlotte Von Coates on November 7th, 2018 at Kinfolk 90. Charlotte Von Coates is an award-winning music director and supervisor for entities like Vice and HBO's Random Acts of Flyness. She's also a radio host on The Lot Radio, where she has a bi-monthly show called Brooklyn English. She's worked with artists such as Moses Sumney, Solange, Q-Dip, Discwoman, Nicola Cruz, Animal Collective, and Malcolm Mooney. She is always determined to champion emerging artists within her work. Special thanks to Rachel and Natalie of Pond Mag, who warmed up the night and provided the background soundtrack to the Great. interview. All right, so this is episode five of Baselines and Banter. We are here uh, at Kinfolk 90 with Charlotte. Hi. We also have our friends Natalie and Rachel from Pond DJing in the background. Um, got a good amount of people here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. We're just going to jump right in. So, Charlotte. You are a music supervisor, All right. as well as DJ, and radio host. Um, and let's just start off by, I guess, saying, how long have you been in New York for? Nine years, nine years? Uh, n- almost nine years and a half. But as you can hear, I have not lost my French accent. <laughs> I guess you didn't pick that up here. You didn't pick that up here, did you? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, it's so sticking. Um, so, why did you decide to move to New York? I'm curious. Well, uh, it was back in 2009, and uh, there was a crisis starting in France, like a job crisis. And uh, I think I'd never really worked in France. I just had done one internship in the music. And my dad is German, my mom is French, and I've always been growing up with a in an environment where I was pushed to uh, go abroad and see other people. and. Uh, and to me, like staying in France, as much as I love my country, also meant being in a comfort zone. And I think you get very creative when you are not in your comfort zone. And because this, this crisis was coming up, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try to see what I can find. And sooner than later, actually, I got this opportunity to work for the French Music Export Office in the US. Okay. And then I moved to New York in 2009. Cool. So you came over with that job? Yeah, I mean, okay. it was not that easy. I was competing with two, 200 people, I think, and I almost did not apply for it. And my sister was like, you should do it. And I did it, and then I got it. So I was very lucky. Nice, that's cool. So how did, when you started there, what was your role? Like, what were you doing in general for the French export? I was like project manager, and my role was to help uh, bridging the, the two like music industries between America and France and just get to know the U.S. industry better and promote the French bands in the U.S., create collaborations, and yeah. Cool. So did you always, like, plan on working in music? Or were you, like, working in music before this job as well? Uh, I I almost got hired by The Economist, the magazine. I also 
wanted to work more in like uh, art. Like I, I did like I worked for an antique dealer. Um, I worked for Faiden, the art uh, publishing house. I, I was really interested in photography publishing. And then I think one day I woke up and I was like, no, I need to do music. I grew up in a music uh, environment and everybody was like, shouldn't do it. It's like, it's not gonna, you're not gonna survive from it. And then, um, you yeah. know, the artistic bug was like, no, It was like, stronger. I'm gonna just do it. Yes. Yeah, because you, growing up, like what was your relationship with music? Because I saw that you played clarinet, right? Yeah, uh, so my dad is, uh, doesn't read music. And uh, since I was a kid, he was like showing us a lot of jazz, mostly New Orleans jazz, uh, but also modern jazz. But he really like showed me everything from like Charles Mingus and Scott Joplin and um, Ella Fitzgerald, like and Louis Armstrong, of course. Um, nice. And so I grew up with this. My mom is more like classical, um, like classical oriented, but she also was living in the U.S., so she couldn't stop speaking about the Rolling Stones and the Beatles from the oh, UK. that's good. So you got like both coming yeah. in. Yes. So they put me in a classical music school. I was uh, learning music theory for like 10 years. My teacher was from the opera in Paris. And then um, it was too rigid. And I had to do all these sort of things which are like super tough in the classical world where you need to read like a music sheet and sing right away. And of yeah. course it's super difficult. Then I got terrified, I left. And then uh, my dad was like, wait a minute, let's all create a family band together. And so I started, oh, started playing jazz with my sister and my dad, yeah. Oh, that's sick. That's but I'm not gonna do a show though. <laughs> I was gonna, what did everybody play? So the big secret that I never say, but I'm gonna say it here, VIP secret is I play okay. the washboard. The, oh. Uh, yeah, and I still Sonny do, loves it. I still do play the washboard. I have a collection of dices, which is very impressive. So I just did a, I just revealed a big secret that nobody knows. <laughs> um, That's so cool. My little sister uh, played the cello, my older sister played the piano, and my dad really played like everything, clarinet, saxophone, trombone, trumpet, uh, harmonica and he, yeah he's like he has that in his blood that's so cool that's amazing that's i mean i'm not gonna play the washboard in front of you <laughs> no way next time you're here we'll, we'll have you do a performance <laughs> that's really sick though that you kind of had that foundation so you moved over to america with this job and you kind of got to know it seemed like the u.s music industry that way through yeah, and I think, I mean, and I never talk about the washboard because it has a little cheesy side, but actually I grew up with it with, with it when I was five years old and my dad really showed me how to improvise and I think it, it built kind of a sense of rhythm and an interest in uh, percussions. Yeah. And, I, and soon next week I'm going to start a, a, probably a class with a Brazilian Batucada group. Oh, to really cool. learn the foundations again, and I think it really like gave me an interest in this. In that, so nice. I'm not replying to your question right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> not you. Um, that's really cool. I didn't realize that. That's nice. My little secret. <laughs> Exclusive for for your collective. Having this musical sense, having kind of an itch to continue to do this, moving to the U.S. What was it like for you moving to New York and discovering the music scene and unearthing it here initially? Like, coming here, I guess, like, did you already have a community? Did you know people? 
or like? Um, so I lived in Berlin uh, 12 years ago as a student, and I okay. had met one uh, American friend, and she was living in New York. Now she actually moved back to Berlin. Okay. And I was the only person I knew, along with my mom's best friend, who is like 70 years old, who is like my second mom, because my mom lived here like 40 years ago. Then that's it, and then I got my job, but I uh, I followed my my parents' advice. I did not. Hang up, hang out with French people. Yeah. To the point, and I was like, I'm not gonna even go to a French restaurant. <laughs> so even after three years, I never, stuck. I never had eaten at a French restaurant. And my mom was like, Don't you think you're a bit extreme? Um, but yeah, and after that, I, I think I. It all started when I went to a show during CMJ of an Israeli uh, artist whose name was Onili. She was very talented. And there I met uh, people who brought me to a party on Broadway. It was in October 2009. And then uh, I met a Japanese friend. And then the group was bigger. I went, we had like one loft which doesn't exist anymore or might come back in the Jewish area. And then there's like a lot of artists there who are still my friends, who still have like albums out. And from there, I, I was connected with the people at 285 Kent and Glasslands and Death by Audio and, oh, and wow. on and on and on and on. And, uh, yeah. You saw like so many different, like just like the rise of like the Brooklyn music scene. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, yeah, I mean this building, no, this building has been existing for a while, but yeah, the street next to here um, has changed a lot in the last nine years, yeah. So many hotels now. Yeah, <laughs> so I know it's like meatpacking <laughs> district. Yeah. Cool. So... You were inundated in the music scene. You were bringing a lot of French artists over, correct? And trying to like build this relationship up. And then you transitioned over. Did you kind of go from that into doing more music supervision or what was sort of your career path at this point? If you, at this like 2009 sort of. So I, I worked for the French Music Export Office until 2011. Okay. And then uh, I, I, was supposed to leave technically because my it was just a contract for two years and then I was like no I can't leave it's too early so I decided to uh, um, submit my application to work for Giant Step which is that big promoter that a lot of people know here uh, the, uh, Maurice Bernstein the founder brought the acid jazz scene in New York almost 30 years ago okay. and uh, he's built like he's done a lot of like shows with Charles um, Peterson The Roots Q-Tip and I got very lucky, I got hired there. I, I owe him a lot regarding my hip hop culture, um, jazz culture as well. And then I helped him like organizing the shows, uh, cool. running like the coordination on the show. So we had like a big residency with Q-Tip, which was of course amazing. And Ali Shahid Muhammad and um, Giles. And then I we, we started to do more events with brands. And then uh, after two years, I was like, I loved it, but I need to be closer, even closer to the music. So I started uh, helping uh, pitch bands with a friend, pitching bands to uh, music supervisors. And then okay. eventually I got a, I got a, my first music supervisor position, which is still the same, it's advice. Okay, cool, cool. So this, you're saying like this, Maybe we can ask him to turn it down like a little bit. Turn down like a little bit. Yeah, so loud. <laughs> um, you expressed like this interest to be closer to bands. What do you? So now that you've been in this role for a while, like what do you? 
doing to work with bands or help bands or like what is this closeness like what I guess like what does your role entail from like maybe working with artists to the like going from like an artist end to like where you are to like client ends with like brands and stuff like Explain what you do, I guess. <laughs> so music supervision is placing music against the picture. You are not, you are never alone. You work with a director or a creative, an editor. Each person has a crucial role. I am kind of the the person putting all the people together. I'm also giving my ideas, and and sometimes people don't know where to go, which direction, and I'm like, no, I think you should go this direction. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, my day to day is giving advice about budgets uh, to our budget people to make sure that it's like not too low, um, defending the rights of music, and then being in the edit room in the editor being like, okay, I think you should maybe use that portion of the track, this, 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 um, and then working with the creative to make sure they are satisfied and the director. So, and then on the on the band side, like I, I, I just negotiate the rights with them, but I make sure also that um, the track is like, representing them, that we don't change their identity, that they are satisfied with how things go, because you, of course you don't want to you don't want to destroy the identity of a band. Yeah. Um, and I, I try to give them opportunities. I, I have the the chance to work on content which is not um, just commercials but branded content. So the difference between branded content and commercial is that with branded content you have like a 10 minute spot for example. It's not a 30 second commercial. You tell a story. Okay. You just have like a, maybe a little bit of product placement but it's not as aggressive. And that means that we have more flexibility to work with any band. It doesn't need to be a famous band. In fact, okay. that's what we like. Nice. So I think it's really a new model which is giving more opportunities to indie bands and I'm trying as much as, as possible to work with bands who, you know, because all the big bands, they are known and they are used and reused and it's great. They don't need, like, they have all the recognition they need. And yeah. I think on the music supervision side, it's actually more fun to have the challenge to be like, oh, I'm going to actually reveal that band. Yeah. It's great. Um, kind of on that note, what is like your experience with DJing and like digging and record finding and like how does that come into play with this role as well? You know. Uh, well, I wish I could uh, place all the tracks that I find, but sometimes there's like samples, so yeah. that sucks. Uh, but yeah, I've been I've, I'm fortunate enough that I have a lot of friends around me who are DJs. Um, radio hosts as well and uh, some of them have their own stores uh, so you know every time I go to a store I get inspired by all these friends it's like a word of mouth and I think it's the best source of inspiration and uh, I, I have been able to place and pitch music that I discovered at a store um, especially when you need to work on the content which needs music from a different from a specific era or from a specific country I'm a big uh, defender of using the sound from the local country. Sometimes we don't have big budgets, so people will tell you, yeah, you can do sound like Spazin, or like, there is an identity between music from Côte d'Ivoire and Senegal. It's two different identities, and sometimes people are like, yeah, music from Africa, but no, it's different. Yeah. So I think it's uh, the role of the music supervisor is to get to know all these identities, and through record stores, I think, I have a huge respect to these people. I just cool. played at um, 
the mixtape club with my friend Erica and Brian and and uh, these guys are heroes like the patience that they have so I think any music supervisor has always credits to share with everybody else it's like a, it's, a, it's a team spirit thing that's cool I feel like in DJ culture you know some people are like oh you can't see what I'm doing in terms of like the music that they're playing some people are kind of private and like music supervision is almost the exact opposite where you're like I want you to know like, that I've discovered and get it out into the story. Yeah, no, you're right. I think uh, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, I discovered it before you. And, but it's sad because it's not it's not the goal of music. And actually, you you don't help artists when you do that. Yeah, and I know, sure. I mean, it's tough sometimes to go beyond your ego. But hey, like, in the first place, if you know about the track, it's because of someone else. So yeah. return the favor. Do you have any particular meaningful experiences, maybe working with a particular artist or like finding somebody that wasn't that well known and like placing them or something of the sort? Should have prepared that question. <laughs> it's like telling me what do you like as music yeah, and then I'm blanking. <laughs> oh no. Uh, Sorry, this year maybe. So like I know something that you worked on, you worked on yes. this HBO show. Yes, 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 yes. Really yes. yes. Random Acts of Lines. Yeah. And you placed a lot of people. Was there an experience from that in particular? Yeah, I mean, we, I, same, I will share the credit with Terence Nance, who is the director, but I, I think we had like a really good experience collaborating, like same, really similar music taste. Um, yeah, we work with like uh, four different composers, uh, John Bapp, Nick Kim, Emil Mosseri, Uh, Nelson Nance, who is Terence's brother, and actually also uh, Jory Nance, his, his older brother, okay. and Terence's composer himself. I think working with all these people was amazing. Uh, very passionate people. It was it was a very tight timeline, and um, it was a work of love. And people were here because Terence was directing and w wanted to talk about the. The, um, uh, the conditions of African-American rights in the U.S. And it was not about, oh, no, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time. No, it was like, we want to do it because it's so important this year. And I think that was yeah. really beautiful. And each person um, improvised, worked super hard, was very inspired. And that, that only that thing, that whole environment was very uh, positive. Yeah. That's good. And then all the artists involved, like, uh, they were all excited. Um, and they're all excited to for the season two, which is coming up. Uh, and that's congratulations. Because, yeah, I mean, congratulations to Terrence. I, I can't wait, but... Uh. <laughs> that's cool. I'm curious, you were mentioning working with composers. How does, like, composition and using composers working with, like, finding the rights to music and bringing in reproduced rights and, like... Within your role, like working in that, like just in general, like how does like what do you do with working with composers on like a show or something? Of the sort? So you mean what's the day to day? Or I guess like, yeah, how do the roles fit in together with like bringing in somebody who I guess is composing original music, maybe on a similar, you know, on the same project or working around, or like you know, for you, are you giving direction based off of things you're finding and stuff like that, or like? So you're and you are talking about generally speaking for any project. Um, I guess, but I, I guess I was curious because you were just kind of mentioning that a little bit with Random Acts of Flyness. So Random Acts of Flyness, I was, um, I did help coordinate, but uh, Terence was 
uh, already working on the cues with the composers who are his friends okay. before I started. So I inserted myself to follow up with them, uh, sometimes to give suggestions. But I, uh, I was more... Uh, because he was directly with them in the studio, I would say that I was more involved with, yeah, coordinating, coordinating, giving suggestions, and also in the music supervision, generally like pitching tracks, okay. uh, giving references. But on the day-to-day -day when I uh, work with composers, I um, am writing the brief at the beginning in, a, in collaboration with a creative. They come, they come up with like a, a topic or a theme, and I'm like translating everything that they are saying in a more musical way. Okay. And then I give them additional ideas. I give them additional suggestions, references schedule to make sure that everything goes smoothly and um, and then I coordinate the creative calls because yeah, sometimes when someone say can you make it cooler well then you have to make sure that you know it means something for the composer so yeah yeah true, true. cool um, just we'll do a random question switch it up to I'm scared <laughs> have you eaten at a French restaurant since you moved here now <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes, uh, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite dish at a restaurant in New York? I really like the the ratatouille, and that's why I'm actually gonna ask you to to say it in English or in French because it's super difficult. Oh, the, the ratatouille. Uh, that is way too American. You see me to say ratatouille. <laughs> Come on, Serge. Come on. R Ratatouille. Yeah, cheating a bit. Uh, yeah, it's like vegetable like roasted uh, from the south of France, Provence. Uh, yeah, it's very simple. Otherwise, like a coq au vin, which is like a chicken with a wine. And uh, yeah, I'll bring you to a French restaurant. Please, yeah. Me, I think my first time in New York was the first time I had, um, like I had duck confit here for the first time. Um, do you remember that there was like a restaurant, the French restaurant on the Jefferson L, like over yes. there? Yeah. It, like, yes, you're right. Down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it closed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Moomin, Mimoun, uh, something like that. Oh, yeah. no, not Moomin, yeah. Uh. It's like right when you get off at the Jefferson, there was like kind of where House of Yes is. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Hearing the news with you, I didn't one. know. And then there's what? Beef tartare, that's the raw beef one. You right? know more than me. <laughs> You're I a also, French cuisine first time fan. in New York, I had that as well, like my first summer. Yeah, there's Le Gamin, there's Lucien, there's abs absinthe, absinthe, with a really good absinthe, and then you go nuts. Yeah. Uh, I'll bring you to one. We should go to Please. Le Gamin around, around here. I love, I, I love Le Gamin. Yeah. I actually went there to, uh, I was a, a, I was doing, doing a training of barista there right before I started do, doing music supervision. Oh, cool. Uh, so you can make some good cappuccinos? Yeah, no. You never I'm, made any for me at the lot. Yeah, well, no, I, it was not great. All right, next time you come in in the morning, I'm going to have you make a drink as well. Okay, well, I'll get ready because I'm probably going to splash my face. <laughs> um, let's see. So I'm curious, what advice would you give to maybe there's an indie band or somebody starting out? And like they're still understanding and navigating the industry. What's a good way to try and like either research on like who's active within like more like you know music or like just in general like how to reach out and go about understanding that? I feel like most people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I gotta hold it closer. Um. 
a lot of people, you know, are like, they think, all right, I have my music out and put it on Spotify. And they don't realize that there are like other ways to share music. So what advice would you have to maybe younger artists for trying to get to like your ears and as well as like understand that entry point? I think it's a really good question. Um, I think Spotify, Spotify for sure. Also because now I think they are changing their model and you, I think I'm not a specialist, but I think you don't have to go through someone necessarily. You can almost like upload. I mean, I know it's changing. Um, SoundCloud for sure, Bandcamp. And then you should just uh, send it to like, DJs from like uh, local radios, the lot. Like I got my first package the other day from my radio show, Broken nice. English. Every other Sunday, I'm doing like self-promotion right now. Really good. This is fire guests too. <laughs> Every other Sunday from 10 a.m. to 12. Uh, Sprush was my first barista. Yes. Uh, I was very stressed out and I... I love the one when you brought Malcolm from Cannes was so memorable. Yeah, Malcolm, yeah. I mean, yeah. My, it was my second show, actually. And then I didn't know really how to use the mixer because at the lot, you don't, you have to like, you have to be independent and it's, it's great, but you have to learn quickly. And so the mixer had like... Um, a delay uh, effect activated and I didn't know where it was and then Malcolm started to have his voice echoing and I was like, that's kind of cool. It's kind of like actually the concept of can about looping and then I was yeah. like, nah, it's not gonna work. Yeah. And then we had to re-record and then it went great and then he became a friend. Um, but yeah, back to your question. I'm distracted. Um, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Spotify, sending the music to local radios for sure. Sending music to podcasts. I think, I mean, I am listening to Giles' show every uh, week. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I have made tons of discoveries thanks to him. And I think that's really important to NTS. But I, I don't, I think each radio like NTS or The Lot should actually probably have an account where they can get like submissions from bands because, and then you could just dig. Because seriously, like the radio to me is still the best, one of the best discoveries for me personally. Okay, all right. Um, I'm getting music like every day. I'm probably getting like a hundred emails of music every day. So as you can imagine, I, I can listen so to them. So hard, yeah. I, I keep them, but I can listen to them right away. Otherwise, I would never work. Yeah. I wish... I wish I could listen to them, not not work, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, I think that's good. And then you should also send your music, if possible, to some third-party agencies. Uh, you have music licensing agencies which are specialized in pitching music, and they have all the relationship, and they know how to speak to us. And it's important because I mean I actually respond as much as I can to direct. Um, submissions from artists but sometimes when I really don't know them yeah. I need to be also unfortunately suspicious to sometimes I've been in situations where people don't know when they are when they are talking about it, when I'm asking them if they have a sample or not and that can be tricky versus when you work with a think agency they know so I would I would uh, recommend to try to pitch music to these agencies and the last thing which is absolutely crucial Make sure that anytime you record music, you have instrumental versions available. Because I don't, it sounds like a small advice, but it's a huge one. For the last four years, I have used, at my job advice, I've used like maybe 2% of 
vocal tracks. Ah, where Because yeah. when you have a lot of voiceover, you need to have instrumentals. So you could lose an opportunity if you don't have instrumentals. Also, super important, tag your music, put your contact, make sure that we can find you because we get, as I say, it's sometimes like 500 tracks. And the other day I had to listen to 600 tracks and in two hours, um, nearly down to like uh, 20 tracks. Okay. And so I want to know where the music that I'm sending is coming from. And if I can't find the yeah. person that I'm like, don't. Yeah, you just keep going, I'm sure. And then last thing is know your ownership. So if you co-wrote the track with someone else, make sure before you pitch it that it's clear if you own 100% or if there's a co-writer. Also, it's sound, I know it sounds very admin thing, like administrative, but it's going to save you so much time later on. And it's also like clarifying your relationship with your other like friends. And make sure that there is no sample. So a sample is, just so people understand, if you record a cover, if you do a, yeah, if you do a cover of someone else, it's not you copyright. So you have to clear that with a person. Okay. Or you have to tell us. Yeah. Um, if you are using um, the drums of a track from, uh, I don't know, uh, give me a name because of course... Well, like James Brown or something. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, James yeah, yeah. Brown. Well, then it's not yours. Like it's... It's still from him, or even if it's not his recording, but it's like inspired from, be very careful, because you could lose a relationship with someone, you could uh, just is, be in a bad Is there radar. like a time? What is it? is it like, if it's like three seconds or something, is it considered a sample? Or do you know if there's like... I think anything which is not yours is a just sample. anything, okay, all let's right. Make it, let's all make right. it a hard rule. That's, yeah, it's just hard, yes, yes or no. Ah. I'm curious too, because we, we just saying in terms of like the administrative stuff, how much like legal knowledge do you need to know? And think on that side of like, you know, acquiring rights to music, do you feel like that's something you have to employ for yourself a lot? It's like understanding like contracts and all that. Is that part of your job as well? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the entities. You have some agencies where creative are separated from uh, the legal side. I think it's very important to know everything because um, if you if you pitch music to a director, you need to know how much approximately it's going to be, and otherwise you're wasting the time of the director. So it's important to know how to negotiate to understand what are the samples, what me, what it means to have a copyright. Um, what is like PRO, like ASCAP, BMI, CSEC, which is also something that you should always work with, like you should register your tracks because you can get additional revenues. Um, and yeah, when, when I get contracts, so I write the templates or I review the contracts, there's always like clauses which I need to check to make sure that our clients are protected. So yeah, it's, but it's unlimited. It's like a knowledge which is unlimited because you can't, um, the, the laws are changing all the time, so you need to be super careful about that. Um, but I'm uh, weirdly enough, I I am more able to talk about music licensing in English than I am in my nat native language. <laughs> really? Yes, that's weird. Just because you have like technical terms. So. True, true. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, are there any particular acts or anybody that you're excited about right now that you've found through digging? That's, that's another also another. Question. I'm like, that's such no. an expansive one. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. Um, Yeah, I mean, I love, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I love everybody, so I don't want to be like, I'm yeah. not doing like, oh yeah, I prefer, uh, I don't know if I should say. Boom. <laughs> Black and white. Um, 
Okay, give me give me a genre and I will give you like a band that I like. All right, cool. Let's see. Um, is there anybody, maybe an older person that people? Because a lot of times in music, if you people are looking for really young musicians, like super young people, is there anybody who you might have discovered that might have just slipped under the radar? Like they just like had music that should be reissued or something? Like anybody that's like super old that you've kind of come across some stuff? That's not really a genre, but. <laughs> Uh, no, like there are there are a ton, a ton. But uh, the thing is, I right now it's difficult. Um, yeah, or they were reissued. I think uh, there's a bunch of people in uh, in. Yeah, I mean, every time I go to a record store, I'm like, wow, is that is that record gonna be reissued? I mean, there was like I was dreaming to hear. Um, is there a different process? For that, especially finding music where like maybe it's, I imagine harder to reach some people. It's like some dusty record from like. Oh yeah. Whatever. So I can tell you a story. <laughs> I, uh, let, please, let, please. Let me just get a sip. <laughs> but I can come back to you. Um, I can, can can I can come back to the question about like bands. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a big challenge for music supervisors to find. Um, the writers, uh, I, I actually love it when I have time. Yeah. It's kind of, a, you feel like you're like a Sherlock Holmes. Because yeah, it's like an investigative yeah, reporter. No, something. literally, and if you talk to a, a label like Numero Group, which has done such a great job yeah, uh, reissuing so our good. Light in the Attic, like these people, I mean, I've told that, I've said that with another music supervisor, Jocelyn Brown. We both want to publish a book about stories from these labels because they certainly have crazy stories how they found people. But yeah, um, I I have a, a couple of stories, but the best one so far is that I, I had to do that short movie, I think two years ago. Okay. Uh, and uh, and we had, we wanted to uh, use a track from a band, which is half well known. I'm not gonna say the name, but I, yeah. And uh, one of the writer was impossible to find. Usually the other writers are, or the other publishers are able to have some information, but nobody knew. Uh, and the, the director was like, I really, really want to have that track. And I really wanted to impress. And I was like, okay, but impossible to find. But I really want to have it. Okay, fine. So I go on, on the internet like, like, like a warrior, like crazy. And then I found out that the guy was dead. And then I found out that he had a wife. And I found out that the wife lives in Las Vegas, but I find like, her name like five times at different addresses and I'm like okay either I like I make the fool of myself and I call or I just like do more research and then very creepy of me I I, <laughs> I called the funeral house oh, wow. in Iowa and the guy had like the strongest accent ever and I'm like he's never gonna understand who I am and and there is pro probably like a protection of identity um, and the guy was like, no, I'm going to give you the contact of his wife. So I'm calling the wife, who happens to be 90 years old, does not have an email, and asked me to explain the whole scene. And it was about a crime, so I was like very scared that she would deny the use. Yeah. And she's like, well, just send me your request. And I, I don't send an email because she didn't have an email address. And then I sent an essay, a thing of four pages that I like had typed. I sent it uh, by mail. She approves the use, and then the director kills the scene. Oh no! 
But, uh, but I kind of loved it because, I mean, it was a creepy, like, way of getting his contact. But yeah, I mean, it that's, like, really investigative reporter. But it's fun, actually, because when you get, like, when you are successful, you are like, yes. It's just, like, super satisfying. Yeah, and these people, like, really need the, really need to be right. They just... Yeah, and uh, last year, I I, uh, I just, I think I, I had, like, an artist whose um, music was being was going to be like sampled and resampled and resampled by a huge hip hop artist which I won't name and the guy was just not knowledgeable about rights and that in this case I kind of want to put my consulting cap yeah. and like help them because just I, I need to be objective but I'm trying and I think it's our role too because you can't just let things happen and see people being robbed yeah sure. Sure. maybe I talk too much <laughs> No, but uh, to go back to your question, uh, there is one artist who um, I actually talked with our manager this morning, and I think she's going to go big, and I love her voice. Her name is Jela. Okay. And uh, we had her working on a video called The A to Z of Music last year, which I recommend you to see. It's, it, went on, uh, it was done for the channel ID oh, and cool. Mark Jacobs. Oh, word. Nice. Uh, it's like... Doing the, the the translating the alphabet in music through 26 artists with one track composed by Dave Harrington, oh, which nice. was done on the spot and it was very challenging. And Jela did one quick segment, and uh, she has music coming out soon. I met with her manager this morning, and she has an incredible voice, a little bit like similar to like Semfa, but female ooh, version ooh, nice. and uh, so yeah I, that, that, that would, but weird like in a like very exactly. unique way yeah that would be the name I love John Bapp okay. amazing like distorted music very raw uh, here we go now I'm inspired uh, a label that I love I mean I love a lot of labels but um, it's Soundway uh, okay. from, the, from the UK I love that band called the Moscovitz Dance Band they do like um, some uh, electronic cumbia it sounds cheesy but it's Ooh. not at all it's like yeah I played a lot at, um, at the lot um, I just came back from Colombia and I met that band called excuse my accent Los Gaiteros de San Racinto, and they are like it's the oldest cumbia band. Um, the guys are like 88 years old, and uh, yeah. I, I met the, the grandson of the guy who introduced the accordion in the cumbia band. And these guys had their album re being reissued recently, and it was and I saw them in Colombia. It's very rare to see them. And it was beautiful to see how in Colombia you have a lot of respect from the youth. To the traditional music which is not or it's coming back in the uni united states i think and all around the world yeah. but it's it's taking a little bit more time this um hailu mergia an ethiopian artist everybody's always talking about um yeah i'm blanking i'm blanking with names i'm getting old <laughs> well hailu mergia was signed by Austin tapes from africa great one really um, did, did he play here like last week or something play, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah and last year as well yeah um classical music uh i'm a bit of a weirdo but it like helps me to focus i love that i love droney music nice. so i listen a lot to that band called stars of the lead it's like weedy like drone drone music and they were placed on like a on a lot of like movies, um, on the rock side, Cannes, Whitney, um, 
on the electronic side, I love Trenton Muller. I mean, he's not really electronic anymore, but uh, techno, uh, gastroless work. Nice. And a lot more so than good. that. Big fan uh, of that. Ron Morelli. Uh, uh, and I have so many more. And now, uh, yeah, and on the jazz scene, Actually, my friend Jason Lindner, who I'm going to go see in one hour at New Blue, he's in a band called Now Versus Now. He also did all the synth for the last album of David Bowie. Okay, I'm talking too much now, so I'm like... <laughs> no, that's you just put on so many people. That's it. Right, and also, cool. uh, your band? Yes. Oh, yeah, my band, Barry. <laughs> and uh, his band? Sunny, yeah. <laughs> Great music video. Actually, these guys, you don't see them, but I see them. They, they were in the same video together, so yeah. maybe I'm going to switch the interview. Thank you. Um, and I'm curious about five more. Okay. I'm, I'm curious about yourself. Do you have any projects or anything coming up for the rest of the year or like next year that you're excited and allowed to talk about? I'm um, talking with a couple of film directors, and I would like to do more films as well because... Uh, nice. But I'm really more interested in doing film about social cause. Uh, yeah. So anything about like political, social rights, um, I'm more into this. Yeah. I have to That's say. That's important. Yeah, like, it's very important. Thinking about like what is like the Marvin Gaye like go tell on a mountain. Like when a good song becomes part of political movement. Exactly. Like, and I think it, it really uh, and the artists artists will be happy about that as well. And I think. There's so much you can express through a track. There's so m many like political messages, social messages through lyrics. Yeah. So I think it's uh, music has a huge role. Um, and if you if you read um, the books of uh, James Baldwin, uh, yes. great great movie and that I recommend called I'm Not Your Negro, which is like about James Baldwin. But sadly, when you read the the his books and his quotes they are still relevant today it's about like yeah. racism and, and gay rights and so anything which is touching about all of this and the war and the world and the relationship of America with the world like that is really what's uh, interesting me and because there's so much to be done with like I'm really interested in music from all around the world and I think that's where I can help yeah. uh, and the last thing I would say is like just continuing the radio working on learning more on the production, music production. I have so much to learn why it will be called in New York. And I'm very interested in doing um, maybe some field recording. I have like some project in my mind. Like basically this year is like going to be more about creating. Nice. That's what I hear. You were saying you just have been like messing around with modular a lot more as well, right? I mean, I'm learning. <laughs> I call it my little spaghetti bowl. That's so cool. All right. All right. So... If you bring me to a French restaurant, you can come over and we can work on music. At the French restaurant? I said if you bring me to a French restaurant, I'll like bring you to my place, like my studio, and we can work on music. Okay, approved. And then I'll bring the bottle of wine. Yeah? Okay, great. Perfect, perfect. Merci. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so the final thing that we do for the interview, I... Scared. Always give everybody a gift from a different like dollar store around New York. This is like a little like nice New York gift. Um, and I have a very particular gift for you. Wow. She's <laughs> over there. The I don't clap? know if you. Uh, it's kind of an <laughs> obvious one. <laughs> Why? It's a very obvious gift. Because, but I thought it would be useful. Because I'm always red? No. <laughs> 
because I am. <laughs> because of your taste. And the fact that you I see. you share it with everybody else and something like sriracha is something that you like have around and give to everybody else. Oh, that's so nice. Uh, <laughs> I am honored. I, it, actually, it's great. It's perfect because yesterday I was thinking, oh, I don't have any hot sauce left. Hey, hey. perfect timing. <laughs> but also, I, I am, uh, my friends call me the, li the little framboise. Framboise means strawberry because I'm always red. I mean, tonight it's okay, but although I did tell you to film it in black and white for a reason. <laughs> that's Perfect. Thank on you both so ends. much. So it's like about, yeah, it's spicy. Yeah, yeah, it's like a spicy. Um, it's worldwide and it's about sharing. Yeah, I, I know it's, it's. It's like less hot. What does it say? Yeah, it's like chili sauce. So it's like it's to me, it's like spicy ketchup, like the best way. So it's good because it goes on like pretty much everything. Like I put it on everything. And it's good for sharing. Yeah, it's really good for sharing. I'm, I take it, it as a compliment. Yeah. Thank so, you so much. Thank you so much for doing thank this. Thank you to you. I'm really glad that I get to talk to you yeah. and also just know you. Yeah, I'm the same here. I'm very honored. Very, very talented guys here. Follow them. Uh, maybe you want to repeat the name of the of the collective. Oh, what, this, this is, is not, not a, club? a club. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. And I really want to do the the ending clap. Yes. If All I right, can. Let's thank get you it over so much, here. guys. <laughs> Good luck to you. You are very talented. I believe in you. And this is the end. Here we go. Episode five. Baselines and Banter is produced by This Is Not A Club. A new episode is released every two weeks. Previous episodes, a video version of this interview, and more information as well as other content, like our playlists, can be found on our website, thisisnotaclub.co. You can find information about our upcoming Baselines and Banter's party there if you're in New York and would like to attend. We hope to see you there. Music